Mark and Laura Lee Kring are away for the weekend. If you don't know me, if we haven't met, my name is Gary Post. I'm the associate pastor here. And this morning we're going to be talking about uh, what I think is one of the most important truths in Scripture. What changes in us when we become followers of Jesus Christ? Not just about what we believe, but what changes does God make in us when we become followers of Jesus Christ? It, it's so important because we can't move on in the Christian life. We can't mature as followers of Jesus Christ unless we understand the truths that we're going to be talking about this morning. So let's pray that God will reveal that to us through his Holy Spirit. Dear Father, we thank you for this time, and I thank you for these folks who, who are pursuing you. And, and Lord, I, I pray that uh, we know that nothing of any significance eternally is going to happen this morning unless it's through your Holy Spirit. And so we ask uh, this morning that your Spirit would be here in power, that you would fill us, that you'd open our hearts to see clearly what you have for us out of your word this morning, that you'd impress it on our hearts. We ask all this in the powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, one of the, uh, one of the dark chapters in the history of the United States has, has relevance for the message today, and it has to do with, with slavery and, and freedom in, uh, in the United States of America. On, on January 1, 1863, President Abraham Lincoln signed the uh, Emancipation Proclamation, which, which freed those held in slavery in the South during the Civil War. Two years later, January 31, 19, uh, 1865, Congress passed the 13th Amendment, which banned slavery, outlawed slavery and involuntary servitude throughout the United States. And you know, we'd like to think that, that life for the estimated four million slaves at that time uh, changed overnight and into a, a Norman Rockwell picture of healthy, prosperous families enjoying life together. Unfortunately, the reality was much different. E even though the bloodiest war in our history had been fought, and even though there had been a constitutional amendment signed into law, uh, e even though that those who had been enslaved were legally freed. Many continued to live as if they were still slaves, in, in poverty, in fear, and, and many in servitude to their former masters. Historian Jim Downs in his book, Sick from Freedom, estimates that as many as a quarter of the, the four million slaves, as many as a million of those slaves, either died or suffered from chronic illnesses and uh, starvation in the chaotic years that followed the Civil War. Even though they were legally entitled to freedom, many never experienced the reality of that freedom because they never understood the provision that had been made for their freedom. They were never able to experience the benefits of that freedom and they continued to live as slaves. Well, in the same way that some Civil War era slaves could not experience freedom because they did not understand the provisions that had been made to secure their freedom. So also, uh, there are Christians that fail to experience all the freedom and power and joy and peace 
that God intends for us to experience as, as believers uh, because we fail to understand what God has provided for us as followers of Jesus Christ. And Warren, in other words, we don't know what we don't know in, in terms of uh, following Jesus Christ. We don't know what God has for us in some cases. In, this, in uh, Warren Wiersbe, in uh, one of his commentaries, puts it this way. He says, too many Christians are betweeners. They live between Egypt and Canaan, saved but never satisfied. Or they live between Good Friday and Easter, believing in the cross but not entering into the power and the glory of the resurrection. Romans 6, 5 indicates that our union with Christ assures our future resurrection, our future resurrection, should we die. But Romans 6, 4 teaches that we share his resurrection power today. And then Wiersbe quotes from Colossians 1, since, uh, Colossians 3, Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, for you died. Remember that. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You see, many Christians get to the place where they trust Jesus Christ to pay the penalty for their sins and, and give them the gift of eternal life. Uh, but that's where, that's where sometimes we get stuck and, and we stall out. We, we don't know what else is there. Is this all there is? And sometimes we struggle with the same old sins, with guilt over past mistakes, doubts about our salvation, a lack of spiritual fruit in our lives, fears about the future, and, and a lack of desire even to grow in our life with God. I'm convinced that many of us are, are, are living uh, defeated Christian lives because we don't know enough about the provisions that God has made for us as Christians to experience his freedom, his, his love, his power, his peace, and his joy. You know, we read the Bible to discover who God is, who we are from God's perspective, what he's done for us, and how he intends to work through our lives. Those are the four things you find out by spending time in the, in the Bible. And we can see all of those things in the book of Romans. And that's where we're going today. Uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul outlined God's plan to save us in the, in the book of Romans, to save us through Jesus Christ. And a, a thumbnail sketch uh, he first mentions the reality of our sin and the way it separates us from God. In Romans 3.23, he says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And, and then the reality of God's love for us and Christ's sacrifice for us. Uh, he says in Romans 5.8, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And, and then finally, the reality of our standing before God or how God sees us. After we come to faith in Jesus Christ, he says, therefore, since we've been justified, whenever you read justified, uh, understand it means declared not guilty for all time. Therefore, uh, since we've been justified or declared not guilty by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of of the glory of God. And this is where sometimes as believers we're tempted to hit the pause button and, and wait for the bus to heaven. But you know, God has so much more for us once we come to faith in Jesus Christ. And, and uh, we find that in Romans 6. I like to think of Romans 6 as 
God's Emancipation Proclamation for every Christian. Would you open your Bibles to Romans 6? If you're using one of the Pew Bibles, it's page 942, and that's where we'll begin. Romans 6, verses 1 and 2. And we should understand that uh, in the first couple of verses, Paul is responding to criticism. That all this talk about grace was just a smokescreen. All this talk about grace, Paul, is just a license to sin. That's the criticism he was receiving. So in Romans uh, 6, 1 and 2, we read this. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? That's a rhetorical question. Paul says, by no means. How can we who died to sin, remember that, died to sin, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Here's the context. The Jews that Paul was speaking to were hardwired, were steeped in tradition of, of pleasing God by painstaking compliance with 613 different rules and regulations. Uh, dietary rules, uh, rules about uh, relationships, uh, rules about how they handled their financial transactions and did their crops and, and everything, uh, worship and sacrifice, all of that was contained in those 613 uh, regulations. And they began, began to think that uh, they could please God by compliance with those regulations, by those rules. And so Paul was introducing the end of a works-based righteousness, you see? And, and that's why he was running into so much opposition. It was revolutionary. It was even heretical in the context in which he was speaking it. He was criticized for preaching that were, were, were made right with God by faith alone, apart from works. Faith alone, apart from works. And, and um, he says that in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is faith, is, faith is what we use to, to access God's grace, God's unmerited favor. And this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And so what the critics said was that if it's all about grace then, what's to keep people from sinning all the more? Well, they were approaching it on a, on a human level. Paul's going to approach it from a supernatural level in terms of what God has done. He says this, we no longer have to sin because Christ's death and resurrection fundamentally changes who we are and everything about the way that we relate to sin and death in this world. Here's the first of three key concepts. Um, that is knowing. Knowing what it means to be united with Christ in his death and resurrection. Paul says elsewhere in Scripture that he speaks spiritual truth to those who are spiritual. This morning I'm speaking spiritual truth to those who are spiritual. Not everyone will be able to understand what we're talking about this morning when we talk about being united with Christ in his death and resurrection. The Holy Spirit has to uh, reveal that to you and open your heart to be able to see uh, that truth. And knowing what it means to be united with Christ in his death and resurrection. Let's read about it in Romans 6, 3 through 7. Paul says, Do you not know, there's that word know again, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death 
in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified. That will keep coming up again and again. Our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin or our tendency to sin or our propensity to sin, the body of sin would be destroyed. Here it says brought to nothing. Another verse says that that body of sin would be destroyed so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For, for one who has, has died has been set free from sin. Now the word know here implies more than just a superficial intellectual understanding. The, the word know here in the Greek Im, implies a, a spiritual knowledge, one communicated from the Holy Spirit, that, that you would know that in your heart, uh, that we, ha, we are united in that way with Christ in his death and resurrection. Now, um, God declares that when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, our, our experience is, is bound up with that of his. That uh, when, when he died, we died with him. We were crucified with him, as Paul says. And when he rose to new life, uh, we uh, share in that new life. We have new life as well because of Jesus' resurrection life and his life within us. And, and uh, that, I know that's hard to get our head around. And, and part of it is that we're time-bound, folks. That is that uh, um, we think in terms of time. And, and so it's hard to, for us to understand, hard for us to wrap our head around how, how can we participate in Christ's death that occurred 2,000 years ago? Well, the, the reason is because God declares it to be so. At that point in faith, at that point in time when, when you and I came to faith in Jesus Christ, God says, I declare at that moment that their experience was bound up with that of my son, that they died with my son, they rose to new life, they're new creatures in Christ Jesus. Uh, you gotta keep in mind that God is not time bound. And, and God is uh, not only omnipresent across time, across space, is he? He's not only here and in Battle Creek and everywhere else, but God is omnipresent across time, isn't he? Time is irrelevant to God in, in one sense. So, so God is right now present at the crucifixion he's present here with us he's present at the end of your life he's present at the end of time right now time is an artifact of creation uh, and and god is present at every point uh, along that continuum of time so when the psalmist says uh, lord show me the end of my days it's not just because god knows when the end of your days will be it's because he's there waiting for you and waiting for me. You see? God's present at every point in, in time. And that's why it's irrelevant to him. That's why he can declare that your experience is, is bound up with that of his son, Jesus Christ. You've got to remember, this is the God that two chapters earlier in Romans was described this way. God, in, in uh, Romans 4.17, God who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. We belong to a God who speaks and creates whole universes by the word of his mouth, you see? So that's the God that can declare that that is the truth. What does it mean to be in Christ? Paul uses that term a lot. What does it mean to be in Christ in terms of his death and resurrection experience? Well, you know, I have a, a Bible here, and in this Bible, among other things, 
is a bookmark from uh, Turkey. And uh, Debbie Wright got me this bookmark a few years ago when she went on a mission trip to Turkey. Uh, she got it in Istanbul, I think, which is irrelevant for this particular illustration. But, <laughs> but the point is that the, the, the uh, bookmark is in the Bible. And when I bring this Bible into work in the morning, the bookmark is there. When I bring it home at night from the office, the bookmark is there. If I were to drop this Bible into a river, uh, the bookmark would go in the river as well. You see, the experience of the bookmark is bound up with the experience of the Bible. What happens to one happens to the other. And the same thing is true in terms of our experience with Christ. Our ex God has declared that our experience with, is bound up with that of Christ. Once we come to faith in Jesus Christ, our experience is His. And, and we follow, we're bound, our experience is bound up with Him. And we're experiencing His new life. So when you think about it, uh, when the moment you uh, became an eternal being, the moment uh, you became a child of God, a new creature in Jesus Christ, eternity started for you right at that moment. It doesn't start when you die. It starts when you become a follower of Jesus Christ. Bang, you're a new creature. And God says, you've begun your eternal life right now. You're just living it on earth. Someday we'll step through a door and we'll be united with our Savior once again. And, and uh, eternal life will continue in heaven, but it, it's already started now. Why did we have to die with Christ? Well, we had two sin problems uh, and one solution that God had for it. The first is that, that before Christ we, we committed sins and, uh, and still do on occasion, but uh, we committed sins. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Uh, before Christ, we committed sins uh, because that was our, our nature. That's the other side of the problem. We committed sins simply because that was our, our nature. Our, our, our old nature had a, had a propensity uh, towards sin. But Christ's death on the cross solves both problems, you see, because uh, we have forgiveness of our sins through his blood and the destruction of our sinful nature through the cross. So the shed blood of Jesus Christ was, was the only sacrifice that could pay the price to make us not guilty before God. We see that clearly in a number of places in Scripture. But uh, Paul makes it clear in Romans 5.9. Since therefore we have now been justified, remember, declared not guilty by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. There is no punishment for the child of God anymore because uh, God uh, treats us as his beloved children, not, not uh, creatures of, of wrath. So the, the second problem, uh, the first problem was the forgiveness of our sins. The second problem is, is our tendency to sin. God took care of that through the cross of Christ. It was the only way, the only way to deal with that was to put our old nature to death, to free us from the power of sin. And God knew that there was no point in trying to remodel us trying to clean us up a little bit so that we could, uh, we could be in a, a situation where we would please him. He had to put our old nature to death in, in order to free us from sin. And Paul says that in Romans 6, 6, uh, again, we know that our old self was crucified with him. Do you get the reality of that? Our old person, the one that had the tendency to sin, was crucified with Christ. That's what God has declared in order that the body of sin, that is our propensity to sin, might be brought to nothing or destroyed so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So God solves both sin problems through Christ's sacrifice 
on the cross. The blood of Christ deals with what we've done, our sins. And the cross of Christ deals with who we were, our propensity to sin, you see? The second key concept, the first is knowing that we've been united with Christ in his death and resurrection. The second key concept that I want you to see this morning is, is reckoning, reckoning that, uh, that uh, this is our reality now. God didn't stop with forgiving our sins and, and removing our tendency towards sin. Uh, he went further than that. Let's read about it in Romans 6, 8 through 11. Paul says, Now if we've died with Christ, we believe that we, we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Now here's the clincher. Get this. He says, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. I like the word reckon better. Consider sounds more like a suggestion to me in the ESV. But the original rendering in the King James Version is reckon. What's behind that is the Greek word that means it's an accounting word. It's an accounting term. It means count it to be so. Count it to be so. We would say take it to the bank. In other words, God says this is your new reality. Con consider that solid goal. That, that, is, uh, that is what you can bank on. Take it to the bank. Because we're in Christ, we have his new resurrection life in us. And that's, that's, what means, that's, what, that's what it means to be born again. Isn't that right? We have Christ's resurrection life in us. We're born again in new creatures. That's why Paul can say in, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. We're new creatures. Would you turn to the person next to you and say, You're a new creature. You're a new creature. Yeah, you're a new creature. Three new creatures right down here. Yeah. <laughs> Some of the old things that have passed away are, are the way that, that sin used to control our lives and the doubt and the discouragement and the guilt that we carried with us. Some of the new things that come are Christ's life within us and, and the peace and the power and the joy that come from knowing that we're accepted and loved and forgiven once and for all time. Those are some of the new things that happen. That's how Paul can say that, that we have power to live a new and a different kind of a life because of what's happened to us in, in this death and resurrection process. He, he says this. This is possibly my favorite verse in the whole New Testament. It says, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. Do you see that again? He references his own death in Christ I have been crucified with Christ it's no longer I who live but Christ lives in me and the life which I now live in the faith I live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God in other words in other words I'm stepping aside I'm surrendering and, and I'm I'm asking Jesus Christ to live out his life and his character and his power through my life I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me the power of sin and death has been broken over us and, and we become capable for the first time of having Jesus Christ live out his life through us. Isn't that amazing? That's why Paul can say in Galatians 3.27, for, as as, as for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have, get this, have put on Christ. Have put on Christ. 
Christ. Like clothing, like a suit of clothes. We put on Christ's character when we allow Christ's life to come out through, through ours, you see? That's God's project for us, transforming us into the image of Christ over time. So we're called to reckon on the basis of what God has said is a reality. Take that to the bank. He said we're dead to sin and it no longer controls us and we're alive to God so that we're capable of having Jesus Christ live out his life through us and that's our new reality. But God's not done. The third key concept is presenting ourselves to God. Presenting ourselves to God for, for his purposes. Paul says it's, it's not enough to know that we're united in, in the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. It's not, eno it's not enough to, to reckon that reality to be true for us. We have to act on it. And so um, let's read about it in Romans 6, 12 through 14. Paul says, Paul says, take some action here based on what you know now. He says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion, no control, no power over you since you're not under law but under grace. Paul says there's a decision point here. Uh, you have to decide based on what God has done for you. You have to decide are you going to present your members, your mind, your body, your faculties, your intellect. Are you going to present your members as instruments of unrighteousness or are you going to present yourself to God as an instrument of a righteousness to be used by him for his purposes in this world? That's the choice before us. Paul commands us to, to make that choice and not to let sin reign in our lives anymore because we're set free from the control of it. We no longer have to sin. You notice I didn't say we no longer sin because there are occasions when we do, right? But it ought to be the exception rather than the rule. We should not be engaged in patterns of sin lifelong patterns of sin anymore because sin doesn't control us anymore. And that's why God's provided for us that we can be, that, that, uh, that we're forgiven, past, present, and future. He says in 1 John 1, 9, if, if uh, you confess your sins, I'm faithful and just to forgive you your sins and, and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's his promise after we, after we become believers. But he says we must choose who we present ourselves to every day. I had lunch last week with a friend uh, who is a heroin addict. He claims to be a Christian. But he says heroin has taken over his life. He can't think about anything else. He's one of these guys you see with a cardboard sign out by the freeway ramp. I'm trying to help him get into rehab, but my point is he's presenting his members every day as instruments for unrighteousness. And he's paying the penalty for that. I said, my friend, there are only two ways that this ends. Both of them are ugly. He, he wants to change his life, but heroin is a monster. And uh, I, I hope that you'll pray with me this week that, uh, that God will enable, enable him to, to break the power of that addiction and, and to uh, get into rehab and get clean and sober. I said to him, Not, nothing in your life will go well until you get clean and sober. That's the key to everything else. And I said, there is a door number three. Paul tells us about that. He says, now that we're dead to sin, temptation can be overcome in God's power. And this is door number three that I shared with him. It, it, 
Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. You see, God's given us both the capability and the responsibility to resist sin in his power. Jerry Bridges puts it this way. He says, so we see that God has made provision for our holiness. Through Christ, he's delivered us from sin's reign so that now we can resist sin. But the responsibility for resisting is ours. God does not do that for us to confuse the potential for resisting, which God provided, with the responsibility for resisting, which is ours, is to court disaster in our pursuit of holiness. So how do we present ourselves to God for, uh, to be instruments of, of his righteousness? Well, first of all, we, we start, uh, here's some suggestions, and I put them in your program for this morning as well that we start by engaging with God each morning. Spend a few minutes in God's word. Um, my observation in dealing with people and their issues over the years is that the number one reason uh, that Christians in particular are defeated and in, uh, ineffective and discouraged and engaged in patterns of sin is that they fail to stay connected with God through his word and through prayer. And, and Satan comes after him. He's always trying to ambush the stragglers, you know? reading plan in your um, in your program this morning and a number of people have said they've really appreciated that but I'm kind of a check-the-box guy you know I, I like to have a system and so I go through every morning I go through and I read a chapter in the scripture in this Bible and uh, and I uh, check off the box and I put the date there that way I mean there's a sense of accomplishment I don't know it's kind of goofy but some of you who are task-oriented will have the same experience it, it gives you a system and a structure uh, to follow but spend a little time in God's Word every day God's Word is transformational it's not just informational it will change your life over time and and then uh, read to find out who God is who he who he says we are from his perspective what he's done for us what his promises are how he works in our lives all, all of that spend a little time in prayer confess sin Talk to God about what's on your heart, that the pain and the, and the burdens and the concerns. Ask him to empower you for the day ahead. And, and then I, I like to journal uh, a little bit, and I'm talking about just a paragraph. Uh, just journal a paragraph. This is uh, five bucks at Office Max, and uh, all of you can read that, right? And, and uh, what, I, what I do is uh, just jot, uh, jot the, a little bit about the passage, what I learned that, that morning, and then I, a little prayer with an asterisk. I asked God to, to impress that truth on my heart. And, uh, and, the good new, and I, I put in there what I pray about as well. That what I like to do, what I, the reason I like to do that is because then when God answers, I can connect the dots, you know, and, and see, it's, been, it's a real encouragement to me to see how God answers those prayers over time. So... Um, uh, next, uh, ask God's Holy Spirit to empower you for what he calls you to accomplish that day. Um, yes, we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, but I, I find that it is, it is powerful to ask God uh, at specific times uh, to fill me with his Spirit for a particular task or to empower me for the day so that I'll be sensitive to the people around me and, and uh, that I'll have what I need to engage with them for the sake of the gospel.
Paul encourages us the same thing in Galatians 5.16. He says, walk by the Spirit and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. You see, the Holy Spirit alerts us to Satan's ambushes. He empowers us for God's work. He protects us and he teaches us. So all that's important. We need to be filled with the Spirit from day to day, moment to moment. And then be alert. Once you've asked God to do that, stand by because uh, he's going to provide those kinds of opportunities in your life to be used by, by God as his instrument of righteousness in the lives of those people around you. So we have a choice. We can live in, in uh, the reality that God says is true. What, remember, what God says is true is reality. Everything else is a lie. We can live in that or we can live in Satan's delusion. Satan will come to us even after we're Christians and say, you know, nothing special happened to you. You're the same old person you were. You're still dragged down by the same old sin and guilt and um, nothing's changed about you. You know, we can accept that delusion from Satan or we can accept God's reality. No, I see you as holy and righteous because of what Jesus has done. You're, you're sanctified. You're holy. You're forgiven for all time. That's, what God, that's where God sees us, by his grace. But we have to choose that reality. You know, a, a number of years ago, in terms of uh, choosing between realities, um, some of you know that my, my first career was as a state trooper. And uh, many years ago, I retired in uh, 2000, so it, it's been uh, many years, but <clears throat> a number of years ago, I was a, a trooper at uh, Brighton. And uh, my partner and I were working the midnight shift. We were coming back from Pontiac down M59. And, uh, and we saw a, a strange uh, a car in front of us. What was strange about it was that it had this glow emanating from inside it. And I thought at first the dome light was on or something. That wasn't the case. As we got closer, I could see that there was fire in that car. It was burning uh, inside. And uh, it was full of smoke and fire. And so we got closer to it, uh, pulled in behind it, tried to stop it. Uh, we couldn't get the attention of the driver, pulled up alongside and uh, yelled at him over the PA system, hit the siren, you know, did everything we could to get his attention. Finally, I had to virtually run him off the road in order to, to get him stopped. So I ran to the driver's window and he started to roll it down. Smoke is billowing out, you know, and, and he's looking at me like there's nothing wrong. And, and I, I quickly saw that he was, he was drunk, obviously. And he thought he'd uh, thrown a cigarette out, and, and, and in reality, he'd thrown it in the back seat, and it started the back seat on fire. And so now that the window was open, it was fueling that fire because the windows had been closed. And, and so I said, uh, I dispensed with the usual formalities about driver's license and registration, and, <laughs> and, and I said, sir, you, your car's on fire. You've got to get out of there. And, and he was kind of dawdling, you know, looking around like he wanted to debate the point. So, so I, I, I pulled open his door, and and grabbed onto him and helped him leave more quickly. <laughs> well, we got him out, and, and of course, uh, you know, he went to jail as a drunk driver. But my point with that story is that he was operating in one reality, and I had an entirely different reality. And it, isn't that the way that God deals with us before we come to faith? You know, we're driving down the car in a burning, we're driving down the road in a burning car. And he says, I've got something better for you. I want to save you from that. Even as followers of Jesus Christ, sometimes we're loaded down with discouragement and doubt. And, and God seems so distant. And, and, uh, and he says, you don't have to live like that. 
I've got something better for you. I've got another reality for you. That, that, that I, I, want you, I want you to live differently. I want you to live in freedom and in power. In the power of the resurrected life of my son. That's what he wants for us. And that's what we're going to see. Uh, in just a few minutes, there are six people that are going to be baptized. Uh, baptism is a picture of going from death to life. Death to life. When we go under the water, uh, it's a picture of, of uh, burial, death and burial with Christ. When we come up out of the water, it's a picture of the new life that we have with Christ. Each one of these people is, is a new creature in Jesus Christ because of what he's done in their hearts. So how do we live in God's reality from day to day? First of all, we know. We know what God says about the reality of our death to sin and our resurrection to new life in Christ. Secondly, we reckon. We take it to the bank. We reckon ourselves to be dead to sin's control. We don't live there anymore. And alive to God's power in our life through Jesus Christ. And, and thirdly, we, we present ourselves. We take action. We make decision for God. And, and we present our body and our mind in every situation to be used as an instrument of righteousness to accomplish God's purpose for us through the lives, in the lives of other people around us. Um, these baptisms this morning represent our, uh, the, the identification of these folks that you'll see, their identification with, with Christ in his death and his resurrection. It's a public statement that they want to stand with Christ. They're followers of Jesus Christ and his life is, is within them. Think about it. You're, those of you who are followers of Jesus Christ, you're a collection of supernatural beings in this world that God intends to accomplish his purposes through. He has empowered you for that. Let's live like that. Let's pray, shall we? Dear Father, I, I thank you for this time this morning. Thank you for the power of your word and, and your Holy Spirit. And we thank you that, uh, that we've died and that the new life within us is powered by the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. And, and, and Lord, we, we ask you to uh, make us sensitive to your Holy Spirit's leading and empower us and, and fill us as we go out into this world uh, that we'll accomplish uh, your purposes as your instruments of righteousness. And we ask all these things in the powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.